This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to La Liga Lowdown. It's our match day 24 recap. The season is starting to fly by now, isn't it? I'm your host, Matt Clark, and I'm joined by Rory Barlow. We're not in Barcelona together this weekend, alas, but we are here virtually on Zoom to discuss the weekend that was in La Liga. Rory, how are you? Still basking in the glow of seeing Barca live last week? Yeah, I, I mean, Barcelona did their best to sort of take that glow away. I, <laughs> alas, we aren't in a, in a terrace in El Born because that was a bit of a nicer setting than my flat. Um, but yeah, it was a good weekend in La Liga. The late, late show um, in plenty of games. I feel like this weekend there was lots of tantalising moments to, to really get our teeth stuck into, so to speak. Well, let's get on and do that. First up, we have to start at the Wanda Metropolitano. Saturday night, Partidazo. Atleti against Inform Hitafe. Kike sanchez Flores was returning to the stadium uh, where he, was, of course, was manager about 10 years ago, winning the UEFA Cup and... Uh, and Super Cup. He was back, Etafe a banging form. How would I let you get on? Well, it was quite the show. Here's Jeremy Barron from Into the Calderon. I'm now joined by Jeremy Barron from Into the Calderon, and we're here to discuss what was an absolutely crazy game at the Wanda Metropolitano on Saturday night. 4-3, Aleti were winners, but that doesn't even tell half the story, does it, Jeremy? Um, first of all, just describe your emotions and, and let's try and unpack that game. Yeah, uh, a real roller coaster, another shootout. Atleti have been involved in several of them this season, and... I, I kind of had gotten so used to the one nil and the uno serismo aspect of Cholismo that I had kind of discounted how stressful four three could be as opposed to one nil. I'd gotten so used to one nil and two that the, these back and forth roller coasters and the uh, yet another remontada Atletico had to launch. It's stressful in its own right, but a win is a win. Atletico are back into the top four for the time being, and we'll take it three points and move on. Absolutely. I mean, let's start from the beginning. I mean, Luis Suarez had a penalty saved and then Atleti went 2-0 up. And then Hitafe had a couple of penalties of their own. They went 3-2 ahead. 
And then uh, Correa scored his second of the game to make it 3-3. And that was just half-time. I mean, what a crazy first half. Can you remember a first half like that? No, genuinely, I can't. I was thinking that during the game, like, this is just insane. This is totally bonkers. Uh, a six-goal first half. And even funnier is that Hitafe had not scored a goal on Atletico in over a decade until this season. And now they put up four in, in the two meetings between the two teams this year and three in the first half on Saturday at the Metropolitano. Yeah, I, I can't remember uh, first half, at least in the Simeone era, that was as crazy as that. Just wild. And that goal before halftime turned out to be so, so important for Atletico to get entering the and entering the halftime of locker room and to come back out in the second half knowing that you can restart from zero. Yeah, it was kind of a, just a reset and a, a breather. I'm probably not sure Simeone has ever had a more chaotic halftime team talk than the one he would have had in this game. <laughs> um, so then to the second half, and uh, it, it gets it gets worse for Atleti because Felipe sent off. I mean, some fans would argue that may have been better, but um, down to ten, <laughs> down to ten they were, and then finally despite being down to 10 for so long, they find a winner and it's Mario Hermoso yet again. Yet again. Yeah, he's the the man for the occasion right now, isn't he? The goal against Valencia that won Atletico that game and the the overhead kick, of course, uh, that wins this game against Hitafe. Yeah, Hermoso, I wrote about this last night on the Calderon when I was doing my column after the game. And Hermoso is such a weird player because he's immensely frustrating to watch as a defender. But he plays with this confidence, um, borders on cockiness. Uh, that means he's always going to believe in, believe in himself. And it is as likely to create moments like the game winner against Satafe as it is to create moments where he's giving away needless nonsensical penalties. Really, really something else. I mean, yeah, that performance at Cam now last week was was pretty horrific against the Dharma. Yeah. And, and but sandwiching that, he has winning goals in a 3-2 win over Valencia and a 4-3 win over Hitafe. So, yeah, it, it must be very hard for fans to kind of work out where they stand with him. And it's kind of... Sometimes when you get these these performances and these players, it's kind of like this weird kind of bond develops because they're, they're generally bad, but they have these iconic moments of, of brilliance which bring such euphoria to, to teams. I mean, in general, Atleti's defence, I mean, we have to talk about it. They conceded more goals already this season now than in any other Simeone season. And we're only in mid-February. Um, we've spoken about this many times on the podcast with, with other guests and, and yourself. How do, how do you assess it right now? Lost cause, at least for this season. They, the, the way Atletico are going to win games this season is just by outscoring other teams. That's just the way it is. Uh, the plantilla is imbalanced. We've talked about it on my podcast, Coach Nero Chat, quite a bit. The squad is imbalanced. There have been absences and injuries and illness throughout the season. And Simeone has tried to find solutions, hasn't found any. He's probably not going to find any. So the best course of action for Atletico is, is to stack the deck full of attackers and and let it ride. You know, five, six, seven goal thrillers. That's the way Atletico are going to get top four this season. That's their best shot, at least. I know the club made a moderate investment in January, bringing in Reynaldo Mandava and Daniel Vaz. But Voss is going to be out for a few weeks with the knee injury. And Reynildo had a, at times, difficult uh, debut against Barcelona. And his first start was against Atape on Saturday. And he was a bit inconsistent up and down in that game as well. So just with the way that the squad is structured and just with the way it leans toward attacking players with players of 
the second striker profile and you have to accommodate players like Luis Suarez, it, it's there's really there, there's really no solution to solve Atletico's defensive woes this year. They're going to let in 40, 50 goals. That's just the way it is. So if you're Diego Simeone, you need to think, how can I best position my team to score three, four goals um, most, if not every game? Because we're going to let in two or three. Yeah, it's, it's, it still takes some getting your head around, doesn't it? When you talk about Let's Come Madrid in these terms. It really but, does. But uh, you're yeah. absolutely right. This, this is the reality for them right now. Let's talk about some positives then. Well, one positive that they didn't want was, of course, that of Yannick Carrasco. A big loss for this game and, of course, for the next couple. They'll be hoping he's fit for the United game, I'm sure. But in terms of this performance, Angel Correa, he's just, he's MVP right now, no? Best player of the season. Uh, he's been Atletico's best player, most consistent forward all year. He's got 14 total goal contributions in La Liga. His first double-digit goal season. I'm thrilled for him. It's been a long time coming for him after several seasons where it looked like he could put it together, but ultimately immaturity and inconsistency held him back. This past calendar year, I'd say, give or take, he has been, he's been available. He's been consistent. He has shown a new dimension to his game. I wasn't sure he was going to reach. And he's entering his prime too at 26, going on 27 in a few weeks. He's meant everything to Atletico this year. Cholo Simeone said after the game on Saturday that Angel is all heart. Uh, the team needs him and his goals. And he's got 10 of them now. Atletico are going to need a few more uh, to hold off the teams chasing them for fourth. Yeah, it's going to be quite a scrap. Do you think Aleti will hold on? Do you think they'll be able to finish in the top four? Oh, it's a tough one. I, I kind of vacillate on this, depending on each individual match day, you know, Fortino off Fortino and all that. <laughs> the, the Barcelona game was really damaging. Uh, they really could have used at least a point from camp now. The Betis game coming up in a few weeks is going to be massive at the Via Marine. That's That could be third versus fourth if the table holds uh, as it currently is. I think they will just about scrape it if they embrace the chaos, if they embrace these three, two, and four, three games, and Simeone stops trying to play the way his Atletico teams have played for the majority of the past decade, because this team just can't play like that. So if Cholo decides to take the shackles completely off and Atletico play more of these wild games, they could outscore enough teams to where maybe they do just edge it, but it's going to be tough. Uh, La Liga is very, very competitive this year, particularly those top six, seven, eight places. It's going to be really fierce in the upcoming weeks and months. So, Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out. So many big games to come ahead. Not least, Manchester United in the Champions League. Just on my final question here, how do you assess that tie about 10 or so days away? Do you think Aleti are going to be looking forward to this or do you think they're going to be kind of fearful? I think they'll be looking forward to it. And I think Atletico have a great chance to beat United. Uh, every leak I see coming out from this Man United team uh, and how they're displeased with Ralph Ranić and how they're displeased with their training sessions and there's just chaos at an institutional level at Man United. So I, I think these teams have kind of similar issues, imbalanced squads, both squads potentially entering transitional eras this season into future seasons. I think it'll be pretty even, but I do think Atletico can absolutely win it, uh, given United's weaknesses and Atletico's proclivity for punching above their weight in the Champions League against um, bigger teams, with um, bigger histories, bigger reputations, etc. I think Atleti have a great shot and they should not be afraid of this United team. Well, maybe Cristiano Ronaldo. 
that's yeah, probably the guy the guy to be afraid of obviously he does love a goal against atleti doesn't he well thank you very much mm -hmm. for your time uh make sure you follow jeremy on twitter as well as into the calderon and the culture chat podcast thanks very much for your time jeremy A quite remarkable game then in Madrid on Saturday night and it was followed up by an equally chaotic game on Sunday in Catalonia. It was the Derby de Barcelona, Espanyol against Barcelona and well Rory you said Barca nearly took the gloss off your enjoyment from last weekend. They salvaged the point in the 96th minute. Luke de Jong once again with a crucial goal. It started so well with, with the early goal but then Espanyol came from behind to lead 2-1 and it felt like they were on the way to victory didn't it? It did a wee bit, yes, certainly. I, I think by the time we got to that Luke de Jong equaliser, we weren't convinced that Barcelona were going to sort of uh, turn it around and manage to take away a point. I think the fact that both managers came out after this match and both said that they deserved to win the match gives you some, uh, some feeling that this was a fairly even match all the way through. Um, but yeah, it, it, was a, it was a tight game. It was intense. And in terms of a derby, it's probably exactly what you want. Four goals, two red cards, and uh, yeah, plenty of chaos. Yeah, I think the Espanyol fans would have enjoyed Pico getting his marching orders in particular. But uh, which performance from a Barca perspective uh, stood out for you most? Was it Adamo with another assist for him? Or, or the midfield, perhaps Pedri again, Gavi playing well? I thought Adamo was very good. He was consistently a threat and you could see that I, I, he wasn't quite as effective in the second half, but he constantly had Pedrosa on toast, to be honest. He just couldn't couldn't quite deal with him. He was very good. I think for Barcelona, I think Gavi was incredible against uh, Alex Vidal in the first half as well. Again, Alex Vidal just could not cope with him. And you saw Alex Vidal got a free kick in the, in the first half for a sort of physical confrontation, but... Gavi several times left him on the floor. For Barcelona, I think this was a it was an interesting game. I do think that they were perhaps unfortunate. If we take this in conjunction with the other game in the first half of the season, I think Barcelona were pretty fortunate to win that game and got away with some. I think in this game, overall, if I look at the chances, I didn't think Espanyol created too much. And it's true that they were pretty stout in the second half. They compacted well and Barcelona couldn't really work out quite how to get through until... They brought on the lighthouse that is um, Luke de Jong, providing the light, shining the way forward for Barcelona and Xavi. But, yeah, overall, I think Barcelona, they had a good first half. And in the first half, they, they worked out their game plan fairly well. Obviously, helps when you go ahead so early in the game. But, yeah, I thought they managed to stretch Espanyol pretty well in the first half. I thought they found a bit of space. There's still a few kinks to work out, certainly. And I think if you look at the difference between this performance and the one we saw against Atleti, Last week, more or less, it comes down to effectiveness in front of goal. And the other factor is Dani Alves. I mean, he was the difference in midfield last week. And he, he gave Barcelona so much superiority and so much control there. Whereas this week, it's not his role, so we can't be too critical of him. But Serginho Dest, more or less, was anonymous on the park today. Mm. Perhaps another one of those kinks that you might want to refer to is perhaps Eric Garcia. He's defending for Espanyol's second goal wasn't the greatest. From a Perico point of view, it was really nice to see Sajid there getting a goal and an assist after this week when he's been uh, doing his interviews with Sidlo, uh, talking about his mental health challenges that he's had. So it was nice to see him play so well and what a goal it was. RDT also with a goal and assist to, uh, to dovetail very well with him. 
But uh, yeah, any final thoughts on, on it from an Espanol perspective? Or I know you love them so much. Um, yeah, tongue tongue well and truly bitten there. But just no, like I <laughs> as I say, I think Espanol, I think Moreno almost got it right in the in, in this game, what he should have done. I, I think they pressed up fairly high in the first half, and I thought they, although they get, did get stretched in that first half, in the second half they were much more compact, they managed the game much better, and I think they were more aggressive in this match than they were in the first, and in the first match you could see that they, Barcelona were maybe there for the taking a bit more, whereas in the second match I maybe would have been more compact as they were in the first, if anyone is still following which match I'm talking about. But, but yeah, I think for the games that the way they came and the way Barcelona were in both fixtures, I think Moreno should have swapped his game plans around, in my personal opinion. Interesting, interesting. Well, we'll leave it there for now because we have plenty more matches to talk about. Not least, Real Sociedad, who are finding goals very hard to come by, but they managed to score two against Granada on Sunday afternoon to move into sixth position. Um, so now they're only one point behind Atleti and just... Uh, yeah, also behind Barca as well, both on 39, Barca Leti. So yeah, Mikel Oethaba once again, very important for the club, as always seems to be the case. Rory, Rafinha with a goal too. Do you think Real Sociedad can, can still challenge for Europe or, or do you think this is just kind of a, a good result amid some less so good results? I think in terms of the Champions League, I would be fairly surprised if they managed to maintain a strong challenge. I mean, today they got the goals and Captain Fantastic turned up for them. And Real Sociedad, as good as they are, they're very good in between the two boxes in, in terms of how they play. They create a lot of chances. They're a very well-rounded football team, but they just they do lack a punch up front. And today they managed to get those goals and it opened up a bit once Oya Thabo gets a penalty. Again, it's a penalty for a handball in the box. It's, it's not exactly... Your favourite. Yeah, they, they've not exactly ripped Granada open there. Yeah, I think this was a very typical Real Sociedad performance of the last three, four months where they might win, but it's a bit of a toss-up as to whether they can get that first goal. And from there, that kind of dictates the match, in my view. Yeah, well, an all-important three points for them. And they'll look now to the Europa League and, of course, that massive derby with an inform Athletic. Athletic, by the way, play on Monday night there uh, against Mallorca. So that's why we haven't spoken about them yet. Um, Next up in the European race is, of course, Real Betis. They continue their flying form. It, uh, it seems like very much a blip last week against Villarreal, but they continued their uh, hot streak in front of goal. Another four goals against Levante. They're in third, four points clear of Barca. It's the ninth time they've scored four goals in a game, Rory. You've written about the, them extensively. Again, it's another impressive performance, wasn't it? Madre mía. Nabil Fekir was absolutely red hot today it was it was the tricks that he was bringing around the flicks it, it was kind of like watching Ronaldinho um on his day like he he was really very good today and I think I mean pinch of salt here it was Levante and yeah they they didn't cover themselves in glory I saw a very good tweet today I saw my 10 year old daughter standing up today yelling at the players telling them to run more this was from a Levante fan obviously which uh, yeah that's a pretty damning um, assessment and he, he went on to say that that was the saddest saddest moment of his footballing fandom but yeah Betis red hot again they were so so good today in terms of going forward I think they were they got a bit lax in terms of um, defending but yeah William Carvalho again another fantastic performance and 
Betis are a team with mojo. Uh, I mean, they might not be perfect. They they give up a few goals here and there. But in terms of a team that really wants their sort of working together and wants their feeling it, there's very few teams that I'd rather watch in La Liga um, or in Europe. In fact. Mm, well, we'll see in Europe because they travel to St. Petersburg to face Zenit in their Europa League playoff match. That comes up on Thursday. Well, that'll do for part one. We've uh, had a look at the Euro European race. Um, after the break, we'll touch a lot more on the title race and a little bit of development at the bottom of the table, so stay tuned. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to La Liga Lowdown, our Matchday 24 recap podcast. We're now looking at the title race. Last weekend, it was a bit of movement. We had Sevilla failing to beat Osasuna and then Real Madrid overcoming Granada with that Marco Asensio Thunderbolt. This weekend, it took another twist. Sevilla were the winners on Friday night and then it was Real Madrid who were unable to beat Villarreal. So for more on that game, let's get the thoughts of our resident Madridista, Hassan Karim. Hassan, what was your takeaway from this game? Uh, exactly what I expected, to be honest. We always struggle away to Villarreal, um, so that was no surprise. Um, to quote Zidane's favourite word, we suffered in the first half, as always. Um, and I thought we put a good account of ourselves in the second. If we were a bit luckier, I reckon we could have walked away with three points in that. But yeah, we, we don't often pick up a result away to Villarreal, so it wasn't awfully surprising that it was a bit of a slog. Yeah, it's five consecutive draws in La Liga at La Salamica. It seems to be the ground where... You just can't win at the moment. Um, some interesting teams, some very intriguing team selection from Carlo Ancelotti. Gareth Bale made a rare appearance, his first since August. And he played quite well, didn't he? Yeah, he was a bit of a ghost for the first majority of the first half. To be honest. He started to show a little bit of life toward the end of the first. And then in the second was very good. Um, I was very happy with what he put forward. Um, I'd say out of most of the players on the team that were playing that day, he was probably one of the better ones. 
Um, almost pulled off uh, quite a nice goal as well. It was just a bit unlucky there. But generally speaking, yeah, very good account of himself in that, in a sort of unfamiliar role. Um, yeah. So you know, I'm not. I wasn't too uh, disappointed in what I saw there because you never quite knew what to expect. But yeah, it was a good performance from him generally. I mean, Carletto threw everything at it. Jovic came on, Rodrigo came on, and then Eden Hazard came on. He seems to be even further down the pecking order by the week. Jovic hit the post right at the end. Do you think a draw was a fair result? Because Villarreal had their chances too. Thibaut Courtois was in fine form. Yeah, I think a draw was a fair result. I don't think we did enough to win the game. I don't think we also played bad enough to lose it, if that makes sense at the same time. So yeah, I think a, yeah. you know a sharing of the point was more than fair enough for both sides, given that it was definitely a game of two halves. Well, after last week, saw the lead extend to six points. This week, it was cut again to four. How do you see the title race as it stands right now? Um, I mean, to be honest, I, I've been for the longest time saying that, you know, it'll be a case of like, similar to how we had uh, La Real a couple of seasons ago where they were sort of in the running up until about this point and then kind of fell off. I thought Sevilla might do the same thing, um, but they just seem to be churning the results out. And I think Lopetegui feels like he's got a point to prove still. Um, so I can see them being in it right up until the gritty end. Um, but I think we should have just enough quality to squeak it out. Seems to be the way it's going at the moment. Quite a few drop points lately for Real Madrid. There was that Itafe defeat, a few draws in there as well. And of course, the big absence has been Karim Benzema. In the in the three games since he's been injured, they've only scored one goal, and that was Marco Asensio's thunderbolt against Granada. How much of a obviously an absence, but just could you quantify how much of an absence he is for the team? Well, you know, he, he contributes to pretty much. I think the best way to explain this is pretty much the four forwards that we fielded in the game against Villarreal or bring something that Benzema brings by himself. So, you know, the ability to link up, the ability to score, you know, to beat players and that kind of thing, they, those collectively bring that. So the fact that you lose one player who brings all of that by himself shows just how, how big a player he is. He's essentially like having an extra three players in a way. Very hard to replace, as you say, yeah. A big one. And of course, next up for Real Madrid is that long-awaited, much-anticipated clash with Paris Saint-Germain in Paris. Karim is in the squad, isn't he? But uh, is he going to be fit? From what I've read and the reports that are lurking around, I think he's going to be expected to feature for some portion of it at least. Um, around an hour or so is what the common sort of consensus seems to be. But if it's enough to get through, then it's enough to get through. That's that's all that matters. I mean, we've seen half-fit Benzema turn up in a big game before, uh, that Atletico game where he scored a wonderful goal in that game as well. So if he's done it once, he can do it again. Absolutely, yeah. Very bullish from you. Um, we spoke a little bit off air about Madrid's chances and how you're feeling ahead of the tie. Obviously there's Messi, Ramos if he's fit, there's a lot of connections, Kylian Mbappe no less. How do you see this tie going? How do you feel about it? I still feel like we're favourites just because I feel PSG collectively are a bit of a mess. Um, you know, I don't feel like they've got the ability to control games with their midfield because I don't feel they've got enough genuinely class midfielders outside of Verratti. Um, I feel that their forward line is still very disjointed. You know, unless you can, if you can keep Mbappe quiet, I think by and large you sort of mute them quite, quite considerably, because Messi is, you know, obviously he's still Messi is Messi. That's that's not going to change, but he's not quite hit the ground running at PSG, um, and I've I've still yet to see a game where I'm really like, yeah, he's really getting into gear now. Uh, but I just think PSG as a whole, just they, they seem a bit of a mess. Um, and I, I think Real Madrid collectively have been very good this season. You know, we've been able to grind out results when we need to. And then they can also really string things together and really put great team efforts together as well. So I think we should have 
too much quality collectively to sort of deal with PSG's individuals. Um, but then there's also individual battles. Hakimi versus Vinicius is the big one. Um, and I think Vinicius is going to have probably too much space to play within that game to not be a nuisance. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating all across the pitch, of course. And we're looking forward to that one very much. But yeah, as for now then, Real Madrid four points clear at the top of the table. Cheers, Haas. Um, I'm sure we'll all be watching that game, PSG against Real Madrid this week. We won't better take our eyes off that. Back onto La Liga title race now, and on Friday night it was Sevilla who knew they had to win this game to make sure they kept the pressure on Real. And Lopetegui's team selection showed that he uh, he was very much attacking. He not so much of a defensive midfielder as he usually does. He really went for it, but it took a while for them to find the breakthrough. Rory. It was simply a case of must win, did win, job done, move on, wasn't it? Yeah, it looked as if we were sort of grinding towards another of those very costly draws that they had been picking up recently. And and yeah, they got, they got the breakthrough, but I think that was yeah a product of Lopetegui actually going for it and, and putting out an attacking lineup. If you look at the goal that Papu scores, there's two runners that come past him and they take away the outstay players, they open up the shot for Papu who has the freedom because he's playing forever forward, he's playing in the middle where he wants to be and that is where the goal comes from. So yeah, credit to Lopetegui for changing, for being ambitious and I think it was vital that they got the win. You could see the celebrations, the way that the sanchez Pizjuan erupted, how important this was to Sevilla. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I've, I've got a lot of respect for Lopetegui in general because he obviously gets the results and he's turned Sevilla into a team that, for me, is overperforming their resources. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But I think he's done that from a point of sort of consistent conservatism and the, yeah, sort of the ability to change and to move slightly away from what's got you that success and find that sort of extra gear and find that ambition to try and go against Madrid in this title race. I think the degree to which he does that and the degree to which he manages that is going to be key for them in this running. Interesting. Yeah, I, I might might just disagree there in terms of the overachieving part. I think they do have one of the best squads in the league. And I think, given that they have had all these injuries, um, if they had all those players available for the whole time, I, I think they could have even been arguably level with Madrid at this point, even if they are just only four points behind. Um, I mean, yeah, personally, I think they have a, a very well-equipped squad, maybe lacking that number nine, but um, they've addressed that. they brought in Martial. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. They've got another... Big few games ahead. They've got the double header against Dinamo Zagreb in the Europa League. Uh, they've got Espanyol away next, followed by the home derby, which could be every bit as as uh, eruptive as the previous one. Um, so yeah, a big month ahead for Lopetegui's side. That's the title race. One game which is kind of in the mid table at the moment is uh, Rayo against Osasuna. Osasuna big winners here, three uh, nil. Rayo, well, the, the Bucaneros behind the goal. Uh, either weren't allowed in or, or protested and didn't turn up. And uh, the team, unfortunately, kind of followed that trend. They didn't really show up in this game. It's now three defeats in a row for them. That's the first time that's happened under Iraola. Rory, I think you, you love Oscar Trejo. He made some comments on social media today. Do you want to touch on that? Yeah, he he came out and said that essentially the club, that the way they're going on the pitch is totally different from the way the club is going in general and he said that the club is against basically all of its staff and he included in that sort of the youth teams and the, the, 
ladies team there and and yeah it's it's a bit of a grim situation there I, I think if you haven't read up on it there's plenty of good articles online about what's going on at Rio and and yeah you have to give Oscar Trejo credit because he he's been at Rio as long as anyone who's been there a good sort of 10 years now it must be verging on at least and he is leading that club as a captain should and and making those sort of strong statements is it's brave because he's out of contract at the end of the season I believe I think Rao have an option to extend it if they stay up but he, they might not take that option and so yeah it's it's, it's pretty brave of him Oscar Valentin also came out and uh, tweeted his support for Oscar Trejo backed him up and and so yeah they they said that regardless of what's happening on the pitch it's more important what's happening off the pitch at Rio Vallecano and um, yeah it, it feels like we're coming to a point of uh, either revolution or, or where the sort of uh, the dissonance will be crushed by the uh, regime of Presa so it'll be interesting times ahead but uh, yeah they've given us a lot of joy this season so I hope that things take a turn for the better. Yeah it's uh, spiralling and boiling up to, to a point where it could get could get quite messy, but um, as you say, all power to Oscar Trejo for, for speaking out. Osasuna, incidentally, move into the top half, move above Rayo, and they are the third best side on the road in La Liga this season. Only Real Madrid and Betis have taken more points than them on the road, so very impressive from their point of view. Um, now we'll turn to the bottom. Obviously, Levante beaten again. They are now 12 points adrift, and frankly, we, we've probably given up on them. Um, Alaves are the big winners of the weekend. They won 2-1 against Valencia. It was Mendelibar's first win back at Alaves. Um, Rory, you don't, we don't need to say how important this is, do we? Yes, yeah, so absolutely massive for, for Mendy, for Mendilibar and Alaves. This win keeps them sort of within touching distance. It, uh, it, it gives them a lot of momentum going forward, I think, because although Mendy had come in, and I do think that they were decent enough under him, they've, they've got a few couple good draws they've not quite sparked into life so to speak and so to get that first win get that out of the way it means they can look forward and yeah not not be thinking about how long it's been since they've won a match so to speak mm. yeah good to get out of the way before they travel to the Bernabeu next <laughs> so yeah as you say that they're, they're touching distance now three points behind Mallorca Milk have games in hand but that's no guarantee of course that they will win those um, and also this weekend Caddy drawing with Celta Cadiz are 19th, one point further back from Alaves. So they are still not not out of it either, um, still fighting hard. But they are still yet to win at home. And I think I tweeted this, if you're not winning your home games, it's very hard to make the argument to stay up, isn't it? Yes, and uh, this this was an interesting game. Santimino obviously missed a penalty with about 10 minutes ago, I believe it was. Conan Ledesma committed the foul, then managed to save it. It was a bit of a soft pen, but... I think um, Celta USA and Morris, uh, one of our contributors, was uh, very frustrated with Chacho Calvet that they did not go for this more. And uh, for the life of me, I, I can't understand why Celta weren't more ambitious in this match because it was there for the taking and it would have put them sort of on the fringes of the European race. Cadiz, on the other hand, I do think they came out with an attacking lineup and they were solid. But uh, yeah, they forced a couple good saves, it should be said from Di Toro, but like you say, they they need to find a way to get goals because if they're not scoring, they're not winning. Absolutely right. Yeah, and just to touch back on Celta, as you say, Yago Aspas taken off before that penalty, so of course he wasn't on the pitch to be able to to take that spot kick. And of course, Santimina had it saved. 
So yeah, that was um, the first game of Saturday and it was quite forgettable, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that, uh, on that note, that brings us to the end of the recap of the matches. So now it's time for MVP, um, of course. Well then, Rory, let's get into MVP. Uh, your first pick is from Friday night. Yeah, I'm going with Ivan Rakitic because we've been perhaps sort of underwhelmed last season by him, but I think this season has really come into his own again as Sevilla captain. And this game, Sevilla were without Fernando, which is, again, I, I've spoken wonders of him recently, but they didn't miss him too much this game and they went more attacking. So they only had the two of them in there, Juan Jordan and, and Rakitic. And I thought Rakitic was, despite the fact that he was probably the most offensive of the midfielders, he still gave him quite a driving force going forward. He had a couple of really good shots and he, he sort of managed this team well through the game. And yeah, his leadership on and off the pitch for Sevilla is, is a massive deal for them, I think. And his know-how, that will come up big for them. And it did in this game, in my personal view. I know he didn't get the winner or anything, but in terms of performance, I thought he was a real cool head in the engine room. Yeah, nice for him to put in a good performance after missing that penalty last week. Uh, my first pick... Uh, Jeremy's already said plenty about Correa himself, but I am going to go with Angelito. Um, just Simeone's basically a clone on the pitch almost. He, he fights so hard, he runs all day, and he produces the goods. He's Atleti's top scorer in the league, 10 goals, um, four assists on top of that as well. I mean, where would they be without him? I mean, they'd be trying to shoehorn in, you know, Suarez, uh, João Felix Cunha. They've got plenty of attackers, but it's still Angel Correa who is the most dependable. And... Uh, Jeremy said it better than I can, but um, without a doubt, he's deserving of this with his brace on Saturday night. Speaking of a player banging form and with a brace, you've gone for someone as well from uh, another the other side of Seville. Yeah, well, Nabil Fekir, I mean, I spoke about him earlier, but he is just on on fire. And I think somebody, somebody noted it earlier on Twitter that he is really sort of making his case for player of the season, maybe behind Benzema and Vinicius, but he's he's certainly gaining ground because he's, I mean, he's part of that sort of duel with Canales that drive this Betis team forward, but he didn't have his sort of partner in arms this game and he was still just as good as ever. I think Levante just didn't know how to cope with him and, and it was a joy, I mean, as I say, I think both teams kind of gave up on defending to a certain extent in the second half. But it was worth it just to watch Fekir, just to watch him sort of having fun, playing with complete freedom, knowing the result was kind of more or less safe. And uh, yeah, I people say always watch Betis, but a large part of that reason is to watch Nabil Fekir. Totally agree, totally agree. My my second pick is from the, uh, the Catalan derby. And it's, I could have gone with Ronaldo Tomas, but to be fair, he's he's likely to come up a lot more than uh, the one I have chosen, and that is Sergi Dada. I, I touched on it before. He's uh, he's been in the news this week with it, with his interviews, speaking about his difficulties that he's had and and how he he struggled to kind of come to terms with that. But to on Sunday night on the pitch, he was just phenomenal. He he was leading that midfield. He was a real leader on the pitch. Um, a fantastic goal, the equalising goal. Is brilliant. You said it was Messi-esque, didn't you? I think on Twitter, fabulous um, cut inside, bending it beyond Ter Stegen at full stretch. Um, just a fantastic goal. You have to see that if you haven't already. And then, of course, he goes and sets up Raúl Tomás for the the goal, which put them ahead in the game. And um, you know, we talk about the defending from from Eric Garcia, maybe, but it was a fantastic ball over the top. And 
right into Valdo Tomas' path. So yeah, for me, that goal assist, all-round performance symbolised everything that the Espanyol fans would want in a derby. Well, there we go. That's MVP done. Um, now it's moments of the weekend to round us off. Uh, Rory, what was your moment? Yeah, I'm going to go for a bit of a weird one here. It's, it's not a goal. It's not a particular sort of play. It's Luka Jovic's chip right at the end of the Villarreal-Real Madrid game because it, it wasn't even a bad finish, but like he chips the keeper and there's at least sort of, it feels like three, four seconds of everyone just sort of holding their breath, waiting to see where it drops. It hits the bar, obviously natural, gets to the rebound and it's cleared off the line. But that sort of suspense, which is going to, I thought that was quite like a universal experience of everyone watching that game. Obviously anyone who's invested in the European race, in the title race, or just in general, in the narrative of the game, everyone's sort of hanging on that ball dropping and it hits the bar. And I just thought, that sort of collective experience of everyone sort of yeah being on the edge of the seat, holding their breath, that was kind of my favourite moment because it was uh, terrific entertainment. You, you can't beat it. Fabulous, fabulous stuff. Well, for me, uh, again, we, we could have gone with Mario Amoso, but I'm going to go with the one we've, we've only just seen a couple of hours ago. Luke de Jong, how many important goals did this man score? It's, it's, almost, it's almost become a meme in itself now. Um, 10 headed goals now for Barca this season as well, more than any other side, which, which is, again, unthinkable. But it happened again. Adama's cross, 96th minute of the game, in a derby, 2-1 down. Espanyol on the verge of euphoria. Hadn't beaten Barca since 2009. Hadn't beaten them at home since 2007. Hadn't come from behind to beat them since 1954. But no, Luke Jong said, no, I'm going to head this ball in the back of the net. And with that, that is the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, and thanks to Jeremy and to Haas for their contributions earlier in the show. We do hope you'll uh, continue to follow us at Illegal Lowdown on Twitter. Keep across all of our, our content there. We've got a big week in Europe ahead. Obviously, PSG Real Madrid is the headline. We've got plenty more too on Thursday as the Europa League playoff round begins. So stay tuned across all of that. Enjoy your week. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Thanks again, Rory. Um, and we'll see you again soon. Take care. Español, ahí prácticamente dentro del campo, el remate, gol, 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 Luke de Jong, gol, mira, Luke de Jong, gol, ¿dónde están los que decían? Gol, qué mal defendido, qué mal defendido, Luke de Jong, Luke, 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 Luke. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.